2: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. HBO Max, the $4 billion streaming service, has finally arrived. Look out Netflix, or says incoming AT&T CEO... Don't worry about it.
1: Our goal, frankly, is not to be Netflix. Our goal is to be something different.
2: And who wants pizza? Papa John's CEO on delivering through the COVID-19 pandemic.
3: We knew the kind of performance we needed to deliver to make sure that we were able to, to meet the need for safe, high quality food.
2: It's Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on
4: CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
2: First up on today's podcast, make room on your streaming schedule. The long-awaited HBO Max has finally arrived. AT&T, owner of HBO, expects 50 million customers on the platform by 2025, and they'll be paying $14.99 a month for 10,000 hours of content. That's a lot of episodes of Friends. And that is also substantially more expensive than Netflix, Apple TV, Disney+, and Hulu subscriptions. At AT AT&T's helm for the launch, John Stanky, a 30-year company veteran, and soon-to-be successor to longtime CEO Randall Stevenson. Stanky takes over as chief executive of AT&T on July 1st. Here's Joe Kernan kicking things off with John Stanky this morning on Squawk Box.
5: John, thanks for uh, coming on today. It's great, uh, great to have you with us. You are... Uh...
1: It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on.
5: I know you have high hopes for HBO Max. We all know HBO, obviously. It's it's synonymous with some of the greatest things ever uh, on video, obviously. Uh, Game of Thrones, Sopranos, etc. You want to take on Netflix, and I understand that. And I think that's interesting because I don't know whether it's true or not, but supposedly someone said maybe we should have some kind of alliance with Netflix. Someone um, suggested that to you, and you said... We want to crush Netflix. So they're not even going to be frenemies. John, you want to replace Netflix or at least be a very potent competitor.
1: I think what you're referring to is maybe some uh, what I would call uh, not accurate reporting in The New York Times. Um, Our belief is that there's going to be multiple streaming services moving forward. And I've been pretty consistent. And I think if you look back over the last year in the public domain around my conversation that Our goal, frankly, is not to be Netflix. Our goal is to be something different. And there are other streaming services that are starting to show up in the market that clearly hit different needs for the customer. HBO Max is going to have a unique focus and a unique position with the customer, and we're gonna play our game. Our goal isn't to crush Netflix. Our goal is to make sure that we meet customer needs, that we engage them every day. If the household finds something worthwhile to spend time with us and that's what we're going to stay focused on.
5: I guess. it uh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, so that was in The New York Times. but That was that was not accurate, um, according to you. So that that's not a quote from you. That That's interesting uh, anyway. But the, I, I guess the reason I l- led with that, John, is that. Um, I think about Netflix and everything that's there, and from documentaries to movies to, to uh, programming that, that they generate themselves, that is a big universe of things that they have. How will HBO Max, and, and I guess you just said you're not going to strive to be everything to all people, but um, you probably do add, need to add some things to the offering to make it so attractive that people have it in addition to the other streaming services.
1: Absolutely. Uh, clearly, a customer in this dynamic of what's occurring is moving from kind of traditional media through the pay TV bundle and uh, general entertainment content coming into the streaming realm has an incredible number of choices of what to do with their time. And then you go into all the dynamics in the digital environment about fragmented capabilities to go in and look at user-generated content, things like that. So there's no question there's more choice out there today than there ever has been. And that paradox of choice is what HBO Max needs to resolve. It needs to become the brand. When a customer says, you know, I'm looking for something that meets this particular need of where I stand right now in my mood or my family situation, and that it's the first thing you think about that I can go and know I'm going to find something that's curated down to a meaningful selection of high quality, something that is gonna hit the mark for me. And the consistency of that happening time and time again is clearly the the hallmark we want for the brand and for the service. And that's what we believe we will focus on and we'll carry forward. And we've got such a talented team at WarnerMedia to be able to do that, be able to curate in that kind of fashion not just going to be doing it for with the demo that was served by HBO now. we want to expand that out to the entire family.
5: And you point out that that it's it's not much difference in price from what people are paying for now with with HBO. So you have done some surveys, and what you saw one out of five people might decide not not to go with with HBO max, but it's not not much of a difference between just converting what they have now into HBO Max. So you don't, you don't see any churn in that respect.
1: There is no difference. We're selling at that price today with just the HBO product, which is a product that has half as much content as what HBO Max, the new product, will offer on the market. So you get twice the content for the same price. And I think as we're seeing, uh, all of us, everybody who's in the streaming business, uh, utility, the amount of engagement, the amount of time a customer spends with the product is in fact increasing and during these you know, unfortunate moments we're going through right now with this pandemic. That's increasing dramatically. And so the performance of how somebody sees the value of a product like that is actually increasing as a result of that. So uh, you know, our job is to make sure the customer finds the value equation to be right. We've done that for over 30 million customers with HBO for a long period of time. And now our goal is to expand that out beyond the family. And I, I think we've got a really strong probability of doing that, making
6: that happen. Right, Andrew. Hey, John, it's great to see you this morning. And uh, congratulations and good luck on, the, on, on this launch. The question I have two questions. The, the biggest, I think, is a distribution question, which is, um, and maybe you can explain, what's happened with the likes of Comcast parent company, this network, Amazon, and Roku, which have historically have been strong distribution partners for the HBO product, but are not on board, at least from what I understand at the moment, with HBO Max and what that does to your reach.
1: So we have a a broad list of distributors who are working with us. Most of the traditional MVPD market is, the pay TV market is actually signed on and is going to carry forward. They're gonna be successful distributors with HBO Max, just like they were with HBO. And it's a long litany of providers that are doing that. Um, frankly, uh, you mentioned your parent company. Um, uh, I- I'm optimistic that there's still an opportunity for something to be done there. And I, I suspect that, um, uh, you know, there's an opportunity that any other pay TV providers that aren't in given the vast majority of the ecosystem has elected to come in and be distributors will in fact become partners moving forward. I, I think the interesting dynamic that you were alluding to is, um, Roku and Amazon, at this point, have elected not to be distributors, and I, I, I step back and um, I didn't expect that we would, first of all, have distribution across the entire base. I think we must be doing something right if somebody believes we're now starting to be more in conflict with their business, so I don't necessarily take that as a bad sign, but I do find it a bit ironic when I think back to the litigation that occurred prior to the Time Warner AT&T transaction closing, that the concern was about withholding content from traditional distributors. And what we have now is we actually have uh, you know a dynamic where we have new distributors, new technology distributors from the digital age who are electing not to distribute the product. And I think that dynamic is an important one to understand. It just shows you how fast the markets are moving and how we have to
6: respond to those changes. I just, just to follow up with one, with one other question which relates to this, which is, Speak to the marketing challenge, which I think there may be one in terms of getting people to download the app, because some of these cable operators aren't going to necessarily be carrying it as an on demand on on the box, if you will. So so what has to happen, given that you do have these multiple brands and getting people to understand that they need to actually go get this get this particular product?
1: It's, it's a good question, Andrew. Today's not the finish line. Today's the start. And we're, we're committed to this business and building this kind of a customer aggregation platform for the long haul. And so this is a progressive process. We're going to use all the tools in the toolbox to make that happen. Most importantly, we've got a huge base that we can already start to engage. And as they start to expose themselves to the content, we use every means we possibly can including social dynamics of people finding something they like and then sharing it with friends and relatives and people that they work with and the dynamic of making the awareness and driving it through the funnel and moving into free trial where somebody can explore it for a period of time we think once somebody starts to engage with the product and the contents that is there it becomes a relatively straightforward dynamic to make that happen the point is, it doesn't all happen in week one. It doesn't all happen in month one. It will happen over successive quarters. Our goal is to be at 50 to 55 million customers. You know, By the time we're out in 2025, we're not looking to turn the light switch on overnight. We're looking to build this platform domestically in the US in a very deliberate fashion over time here. And, and we're confident we can do that using all the marketing tools available to us.
0: Hey,
4: John, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about how the economy looks, at least through the prism of AT&T, what you've seen in terms of real-time subscriber, uh, people cutting the cords, or others, Direct TV subscribers stepping off at the same time, you may be seeing an an increase in in the number of people who want that high-speed Internet connection because they're working from home, doing school from home. What, what What do you see, and how is it playing out? What are you anticipating over the next couple of months?
1: becky it's a it's an evolving dynamic right now it's moving pretty quickly and it's you know i I don't think anybody can sit here at this moment and not understand that for the next several quarters we're going to see some suppression in this economy and it's it's going to have an impact on a variety of of different products and services even even something as important as telecommunication services we're going to have people who start to make choices that are hard within their household budgets what I can tell you is this, in the wireless space, we're seeing inbound activity level at the top of the funnel that's back to the 2019 levels for our business. So the activity level, as we've seen reopening occur, distribution reopen, people starting to get to back to normal. That inbound activity is actually back to 2019 levels. Now, there's the second part of that, which is what's happening to the base and clearly there's some people falling out of the base from economic hardship in many instances they can't afford to pay their bills so the net net is there's probably going to be some downward pressure in the wireless space but we are seeing the top of the funnel activity levels start to recover and get back to historic levels on broadband it's a pretty similar story although you know, I'm actually seeing that as being a little bit stickier product right now, frankly, than even wireless. It's uh, been a little bit more indispensable. Inbound volumes are starting to get back to what we saw in the 2019 level. Still got a little ways to go to recover. It's a little bit different experience in that oftentimes broadband requires a visit to a house. Some people aren't quite comfortable with that dynamic yet, but we're seeing it edge back to that level, and it's pretty close at this point. It's the pay TV business that's recovering the slowest. There's no question about it. activity levels are not back to 2019 levels. And that probably makes sense given that typically that customer installation experience is oftentimes a visit to a house that's for an extended period of time, oftentimes a couple hours. And I think there's a lot of folks that just aren't comfortable with that yet. I and mean, it's going to take a little bit of time to come back in. Those that have the service, uh, we're, not, we're actually seeing a slowdown in churn right now. I mean, they're, they're engaged with it. But uh, that inbound activity has been a lot lower.
5: Hey, John, uh, it, it's no ads right now. Uh, I'm just the whole business model. And, and I, I don't know whether I know you might be working on an ad-supported version. So I, I can just tell you that through my experience. So I've been watching Peacock. And there's a lot of, like, date lines, okay, because I, I haven't seen them all, so I need to see them all, I guess. I haven't minded, I haven't minded the ads, and, and, and there's not as many, you know what I mean? So it's not like I'm, I'm sitting there for three minutes saying I hate it, but I get to get up, go get a grape soda. Sometimes, you know, after drinking too many grape sodas, I need to take a break, whatever. But is, is that in the works? I mean, that's not a bad way to go. Are you, is that going to happen?
1: I think we have been really clear since the transaction was announced that we believe very strongly that the long-term dynamics are going to be both subscription and advertising supported. I mean, if we think about what consumers like, they like choice. They want a broad library of selection. And in fact, many of the streaming services that are so popular today were really built off of advertising dollars to start. We can't forget that. And those libraries, while they're strong and they're good, they don't last forever. After you've been through every episode of Seinfeld or Friends six times, eventually you do move on to something else. And so to have that replenishment occur at a price point that a consumer can long-term afford and still get that value of choice, you are going to need to have both subscription and ad supported And, yes, we're committed to bringing out an ad-supported offering. The early part of next year that will complement the subscription no commercial part of our business i think to joe to your point is you don't necessarily mind ads if they're executed well and they're relevant and the nice part about where we are in technology and insights customers we can now start to do that and that's the marriage of bringing media and distribution together we have better insights about the customer. We we have insights from the endpoints of the services that they have with us from our AT and T communications products, which help us, helps us to inform a much better advertising platform that can be more targeted, more relevant, less intrusive, and make sure that that customer can support both monetization models that gives them the best choice possible in the product. Hey, and John,
6: just kicking off that. That, that particular point. I remember when we first spoke maybe a year and a half ago when you first announced HBO Max out in L.A. together. And the, the question I'd ask is this, this channel is very much a, the culmination of the AT&T marriage with Time Warner. So when you look back on that marriage and you look at what at and has brought to the table and what Time Warner has brought to the table, the question I'd ask is sort of what do you, what do you think is the result of that, that deal that's created this? Could have this been created on its own?
1: Oh, I, I think everything can always possibly be done organically. It's just a matter of time and money. Um, some of the factors that you raise early on in the conversation, which is can you go in against established players and how much patience does it take and balance sheet strength? Those are all the pragmatic issues we have to deal with. And I, I tell you that it is going to be a pretty aggressive and intensely competitive space. So I think the heft of both companies coming together the strength of AT&T's distribution, the 170 direct consumer, 170 million direct consumer relationships we already have to help accelerate some of that new distribution. I think it's going to, at the end of the day, be really important to this. And I don't think you have that great ad-supported opportunity unless you've got that intensive endpoints of insights from broadband distribution and wireless distribution and insights from a pay tv business that tells you what customers want to watch and what what affinities there are in a household so i think you're now going to start to see where the bridging of distribution and content actually can build a better product and can bring value it just has taken a little bit of time i'd love to be a lot further along look if you think about it you think about the litigation the waiting period during the keep separate agreement It'd be wonderful to be 18 months back at this moment. That's where we could have been. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not the cards we have right now.
5: Hey, John, a huge success on for Turner on uh, with the match, uh, which was uh, you know we don't get it to see any sports and it was golf. and I, there's another phenomenal golf property known as the at and t Pebble Beach. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is that when we talked to Randall last time out there, Randall Stevenson, in february he thought he'd serve out to the the end of the year and the whole transition was very orderly but it did seem like it came you know you're taking over july 1st that that was a little earlier than we thought what was there something with the pandemic some thinking that went into that to get you in that position to to deal with this what what was the thinking on on uh, randall i don't know whether he left early or whether it was just you know not fixed in stone at the time but we thought he would be serving uh, as ceo throughout 2020.
1: Yeah, I think within the context of maybe my 34 years with the company and Randall's 36 plus years with the company, um, whether it happened, you know, within a three month period of time or six month period of time, I think it's relatively speaking orderly either way. Uh, the reality is, is we sat here at a moment and said, now's the time. And whether it happened in July or happened in December, this is something that I think the board, Randall, Everybody else around the company is, you know, didn't just wake up this year and decide it was something they needed to deal with or think about. And the fact that there is that kind of planning, and there is that kind of forethought. You sometimes get into these things, and you pick your moment. And we're at a moment right now, partly because of the pandemic and the many decisions we're making and restructuring the business, partly because of where we are. I think uh, what I would say, uh, the confidence of where the board is in this transition. And where Randall's comfort level is and handing over the reins, this was the right time to do it. And I think, frankly, in the broader scheme of things, whether it was this quarter or two quarters from now, relatively speaking, it isn't that big of a deal.
5: Yeah. I don't know what I might have said. Uh, no, no, that's all right, Randall. Well, you go ahead. Let's take us in it. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, t- tough for everybody, but we're all uh, trying to do the best we can. And we appreciate you uh, being on today as well, John. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Next on Squawk Pod, Pizza, Papa John's CEO Rob Lynch on the strong performance of no-contact delivery.
3: We think that there is going to be a tail to this. We do think that there is going to be a delay in consumer behavior, wanting to go back out for sit-down dinners, and we're going to be able to benefit from that. We'll be right back.
2: What's on the horizon for financial markets? This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew.
6: Let's talk about, well, I think it's probably maybe all of our favorite foods. I don't know. Let's talk pizza during the pandemic. Papa John's announcing some staggering new numbers this morning. Comparable store sales. Ready for this? For the month of May are up more than 33% in North America. That's after being up 27% in April. It all adds up to the two best months in the company's history. And for more on where... Uh, We are and where we're going. We're joined by uh, Bob Lynch, President and CEO of Papa John's International. Uh, Good morning to you. Um, It was a remarkable uh, two months, and uh, in large part, given this pandemic, I think the real question I'd ask you as someone who's running a business is, I think you were a beneficiary, I hate to say it, of the pandemic. Um, And the question really is, is this just pulled forward, or how do you sustain this kind of momentum um, as a business?
3: Hi, thanks for having me on today. Um, you know, the results that we've shown in the second quarter have really been built on a foundation that we were building in the first quarter before the pandemic hit. We were up over 7% heading into March um, when coronavirus impacted our sales negatively for the back half of March, taking our same-star sales down to about 5% for the quarter. So we were already on a good track. We had built a lot of um, new innovation that we had launched in February. We had gotten a lot of things turned around on our advertising, our marketing, our media spends. So a lot of foundational things were put in place. And you know, we reacted to the pandemic in I think a really strong way. Our team came together across the company uh, with our franchisees and we put a plan in place because it was really important for us to be able to support our communities by, you know, f- through our model, which is all about delivery and takeout. We had seen the pandemic sweeping across Asia and into Europe, and we knew what, the, what it looked like. We knew what um, in the markets where we were allowed to operate, the kind of performance we needed to deliver to make sure that we were able to to meet the need for safe, high-quality food. And so we built that. We launched no-contact delivery in late March. Um, we started communicating with our customers, sharing with them that they could order our high-quality, safe food delivered with no contact directly to their homes. And we think that's made a big difference. But we see this this sales trend. We see this performance that in in a, it's going to be sustainable. Um, we're seeing markets that are opening up in the States, different, you know, Tennessee, Texas, Georgia. Um, we saw very strong performance in May, despite the fact that, you know, uh, they, would have, they created a little bit of leniency in their, their, self, their quarantining rules. So um, we think this is going to stick around long after coronavirus.
6: Well, the the question I was going to ask you, in states where there has been a little bit of reopening, have you even seen a shift in terms of the mix pickup versus delivery, for example, things like that?
3: No, you know what? It's it's interesting. We haven't seen that much of a shift even during coronavirus in most states. Obviously, in New York and some of these other very hard, very high impact um, um, states and, and cities, We have seen, um, you know, delivery go to, you know, upwards of 90 percent. But in a lot of states, people have still left their homes to come and pick it up because they wanted that um, that that ability to control, you know, their their their, how they receive the food. But since the the opening up and like I said, in Georgia, Tennessee, Dallas, Nashville, Atlanta are growing as fast or faster in May as they were in April. So. We think that there is going to be a tail to this. We do think that there's going to be a delay in consumer behavior, wanting to go back out, um, for dinner, sit down dinners, and we're going to be able to benefit from that. But like I said, I think that the foundation of this, this sales growth is really grounded in our innovation, um, launching new products. We've, we've created a, a strong loyalty program over the last year that's having a big impact. And then, Our partnership with the aggregators has really been strong for us as well. We're seeing a lot of incremental new customers coming in through those channels.
6: So the other question, though, that I was going to ask you is in terms of what this looks like 12 months from now, you have no you have no worries that once people are are truly out and about. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We'll be out 12 months from now. I think I hope we are. But that that on the other side of it, it's going to be a much tougher
3: business. Yeah, there's no, there's no denying that coronavirus is ha- having an impact on our business, a positive impact on our business. Um, it's eliminated a lot of the other options. So uh, I'm not trying to say that, you know, 33 percent of this growth is, um, is, all, is all things we've done. I'm just trying to say that we, right. we think that there is strong growth that lies beyond. Obviously, um, we, none of us know how long this this terrible pandemic is going to impact our country, impact the globe but we've built a model that we think is going to continue to help us drive growth ongoing.
6: What, tell us about employee wages. Have you had to had to increase wages? What's happened there?
3: You know, we, we've tried to focus our company on things that we think are going to be most helpful for people, for our employees during this, this time of need. We've implemented a lot of new um, safety and sanitization protocols. We've also um, increase some of the, the, the health benefits that we offer. We've extended virtual doctor's visits to uh, all of our employees, regardless of whether or not they've signed up for health insurance or not. We also offer free college tuition for employees for um, eligible employees that, that work more than 20 hours a week. So we've focused on making investments in the long-term um, future versus necessarily giving short-term um, pay increases that we have to then take away when When we get back to normal and things get back to normal. So we're trying to do everything we can to keep our employees safe, keep our uh, employees engaged and fulfilled, and then um, also help them feel great about coming to work every day.
4: Hey, Rob, I just wonder, did you see a real change in, in where your busiest locations were? I, I would imagine college campuses or, or, or Papa John's near college campuses would be some of the busiest places until they shut down all the schools. How, how did you kind of handle the change in, in which stores were maybe being used the most frequently? And did you even see that, that sort of a shift?
3: Yeah, we absolutely saw that shift. In fact, our fastest growing market is New York City, um, you know, where where people have really depended on our teams to, to bring them safe food. And so the, the college campuses absolutely have definitely um, changed their trajectory. And, and, you know, the urban environments that have been the most hard hit have actually been the, the the fastest growing. But, you know, we've had to implement the same procedures in New York City as we've had to implement in, you know, South Bend, Indiana. Um we got to make sure that all of our restaurants are safe for people to continue to come to work. We got to make sure that our um, employees feel like they can come to work every day and feel good about um, where they're at. So the, the procedures have been the same. We did transition, as I mentioned, to no contact delivery. That's been a huge win for both our employees and our customers. We're seeing our customer service scores go up dramatically, about a thousand basis points. Um, and where we deliver with no contact delivery, um, customers appreciate us going the extra effort, uh, putting in the extra effort, and going the extra mile to um, to deliver uh, in that way and keep them safe and keep our employees safe. Uh, Rob, it's great to see you. Um, congratulations on your success,
6: and uh, we hope to uh, talk to you again soon and uh, check in on your progress. Talk to you soon. Thank thanks. You thanks. Very much.
2: Squawk Pod. will be right back. That's the podcast for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook CEO on social media's role in a pandemic. Everything from supporting small businesses to working with the White House. You don't want to miss this conversation. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Squawk CNBC. And thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
0: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.